Hello and welcome to the Zero to Finals podcast. My name is Tom and in this episode I'm going to be talking to you about vertigo. And you can find written notes on this topic at zerodefinals.com slash vertigo or in the ear, nose and throat section of the Zero to Finals surgery book. So let's get straight into it. Vertigo is a descriptive term for a sensation that there's movement between the patient and their environment. They may feel that they are moving or that the room is moving around them. Often there is a horizontal spinning sensation which you can recreate by spinning around in circles and then stopping abruptly. Vertigo is often associated with nausea, vomiting, sweating and generally feeling unwell. Let's talk about the pathophysiology of vertigo. There are three sensory inputs that are responsible for maintaining balance and posture. And these are vision, proprioception and signals from the vestibular system. Vertigo is caused by a mismatch between these sensory inputs. The vestibular system is the most important sensory system to understand when you're learning about vertigo. The vestibular apparatus is located in the inner ear. It consists of three loops called the semicircular canals which are filled with a fluid called endolymph. These semicircular canals are oriented in different directions to detect various movements of the head. As the head turns, the fluid shifts inside the canals. This fluid shift is detected by tiny hairs called stereocilia, which are found in a section of the canal called the ampulla. This sensory input of shifting fluid is transmitted to the brain by the vestibular nerve and it lets the brain know that the head is moving in a particular direction. The vestibular nerve carries signals from the vestibular apparatus to the vestibular nucleus in the brainstem and to the cerebellum. The vestibular nucleus sends signals to the oculomotor, trochlear and abducens nuclei that control eye movements and it also sends signals to the thalamus, spinal cord, and the cerebellum. The cerebellum is responsible for coordinating movement throughout the body. Therefore, the vestibular signals that are generated by the vestibular apparatus in response to movements in the head help the central nervous system coordinate eye movements and other movements throughout the body. Vertigo can be caused by either a peripheral problem usually affecting the vestibular system, or a central problem, usually involving the brainstem or the cerebellum. First, let's talk about peripheral vertigo. There are several peripheral or vestibular causes of vertigo. The four most common causes to be familiar with are benign paroxysmal positional vertigo, Meniere's disease, vestibular neuronitis, and labyrinthitis. Benign paroxysmal positional vertigo, or BPPV, is caused by crystals of calcium carbonate, which are called otoconia, that become displaced in the semicircular canals. They may be displaced by a viral infection, head trauma, aging, or without a clear cause. These crystals in the semicircular canals disrupt the normal flow of endolymph through the canals, Therefore, they disrupt the function of the whole vestibular system. The symptoms are usually positional because movement is required in order to confuse the system. 
Therefore, attacks of vertigo in benign paroxysmal positional vertigo are triggered by movement and they can last around a minute before the symptoms settle. Often the symptoms occur in clusters over several weeks and then they resolve before they can reoccur weeks or months later. A special test called the Dix-Hall-Pike manoeuvre can be used to diagnose BPPV. Meniere's disease is caused by an excessive buildup of endolymph in the semicircular canals, causing a higher pressure than normal and disrupting the sensory signals. It causes attacks of hearing loss, tinnitus, vertigo and a sensation of fullness in the affected ear. These attacks typically last several hours before settling. It most often occurs in middle-aged adults and is not associated with movement of the head, meaning the symptoms are not positional, unlike BPPV. Patients with Meniere's disease will have spontaneous nystagmus during attacks, and nystagmus is abnormal eye movements which we'll discuss in more detail later. Over time, the hearing in patients with Meniere's disease will gradually deteriorate. Acute vestibular neuronitis refers to inflammation of the vestibular nerve, and this is usually attributed to a viral infection. Typically, the history is of an acute onset of vertigo that improves within a few weeks. Labyrinthitis refers to inflammation of the structures of the inner ear. This is also usually attributed to a viral infection and the history is of acute onset vertigo which also improves within a few weeks. Labyrinthitis can cause hearing loss which helps distinguish it from vestibular neuronitis. So with labyrinthitis you get vertigo plus hearing loss because the entire inner ear structures are affected whereas with acute vestibular neuronitis you only get vertigo because the vestibular nerve which is affected in vestibular neuronitis does not play a role in hearing. There are several other peripheral causes of vertigo, and these include trauma to the vestibular nerve, vestibular nerve tumours, meaning acoustic neuromas, otosclerosis, hyperviscosity syndromes, and herpes zoster infection, which often comes along with a facial nerve weakness and vesicles around the ear, which is described as Ramsey-Hunt syndrome. Let's talk about the central causes of vertigo. Pathology that affects the cerebellum or the brainstem can disrupt signals from the vestibular system and cause vertigo. The most common central causes of vertigo which are worth remembering are posterior circulation infarction or a stroke, tumours, multiple sclerosis and vestibular migraine. All the central causes of vertigo will cause sustained, non-positional vertigo. Posterior circulation infarction, which is a type of stroke, will have a sudden onset just like other strokes and it may be associated with other symptoms such as ataxia or problems with coordination, diplopia or double vision, cranial nerve defects or limb symptoms. If the vertigo is caused by tumours in the cerebellum or the brainstem, there will be a gradual onset with associated symptoms of cerebellar or brainstem dysfunction. 
multiple sclerosis may have a relapsing and remitting course of symptoms, with other associated features of multiple sclerosis such as optic neuritis or transverse myelitis. Vestibular migraine will cause symptoms that last minutes to hours, often associated with a visual aura and a headache. Vestibular migraine attacks may be triggered by stress, bright lights, strong smells, certain foods such as chocolate, cheese or caffeine, dehydration, menstruation and abnormal sleep patterns. Let's talk about taking a history. When a patient presents with dizziness, it's important to first distinguish between vertigo and general lightheadedness. Ask whether the room is moving, which suggests vertigo, or whether they feel more of a general lightheadedness. Ask about symptoms that will help you differentiate between central and peripheral causes of vertigo. For example, ask about the onset of symptoms. A sudden onset is more likely to suggest a peripheral cause of the vertigo, whereas a gradual onset suggests a central cause. The obvious exception is a posterior circulation infarction or a stroke, which is a central cause with a sudden onset. Ask about duration of symptoms. If there's a short duration, lasting seconds or minutes, this suggests a peripheral cause, whereas persistent vertigo suggests more of a central cause. Ask about associated symptoms of hearing loss or tinnitus, which are often present in peripheral causes of vertigo, except BPPV, but are not usually associated with central causes of vertigo. Ask about coordination, which is usually intact in peripheral vertigo and may be impaired in central vertigo. And finally, ask about nausea, Nausea tends to be more severe in peripheral vertigo and milder in central vertigo. The key features that may point to a specific cause for the vertigo are a recent viral illness which may suggest labyrinthitis or vestibular neuronitis, a headache which may suggest vestibular migraine, cerebrovascular accident or a brain tumour, typical triggers for the vertigo, which may suggest a vestibular migraine, ear symptoms such as pain or discharge, which may indicate infection in the ear, and acute onset of neurological symptoms, which suggests a stroke. Next, let's talk about examination. There are four things to examine when assessing a patient presenting with vertigo. Do an ear examination to look for signs of infection or other ear pathology a neurological examination to assess for central causes of the vertigo, such as stroke or multiple sclerosis, a cardiovascular examination to assess for cardiovascular causes of dizziness, such as arrhythmias or heart valve disease, and special tests, and we'll talk about the special tests for vertigo shortly. Cerebellar examination is an important part of a full neurological examination in somebody with vertigo. The components of a cerebellar examination can be remembered with the Danish mnemonic. D is for dysdiadocokinesia. A is for ataxic gait, and you can test this by asking the patient to walk heel to toe. N is for nystagmus, which we'll talk about in more detail shortly. I is for intention tremor. 
S is for speech, which may be slurred in a cerebellar problem. And H is for the heel-shin test, which is to test for lower limb coordination. Let's talk about the special tests. There are special tests that may be helpful in assessing patients with dizziness or vertigo. And these include the Romberg's test, which is used to screen for problems with proprioception or vestibular function. The Dix-Hall-Pike manoeuvre, which is used specifically to diagnose BPPV. And the HINTS examination, which is used to distinguish between central and peripheral vertigo. Let's talk in more detail about the HINTS examination. The HINTS examination is used to distinguish between central and peripheral vertigo. And it stands for HI for head impulse, N for nystagmus, and TS for test of skew. Let's start by talking about the head impulse test. The head impulse test involves the patient sitting upright and fixing their gaze on the examiner's nose. The examiner holds the patient's head and rapidly jerks it 10 to 20 degrees in one direction while the patient continues looking at their nose. The head is moved slowly back to the centre after jerking it in one direction before repeating the jerk in the opposite direction. It's important to ensure they have no neck pain or pathology before performing the test. A patient with a normally functioning vestibular system will be able to keep their eyes fixed on the examiner's nose. In a patient who has an abnormally functioning vestibular system, for example with vestibular neuronitis or labyrinthitis, the eyes will saccade, meaning rapidly move backwards and forwards as they eventually fix back on the examiner's nose. The head impulse test helps to diagnose a peripheral cause of vertigo. It will be normal in a patient who has no current symptoms or a central cause of vertigo. So if you have an abnormal head impulse test, this is reassuring that the cause of the vertigo is peripheral, for example vestibular neuronitis or labyrinthitis. Let's talk more about nystagmus. Nystagmus can be demonstrated by having the patient look left and right. The eyes rapidly saccade or oscillate, meaning that they shake side to side as they try to settle in place. A few beats of nystagmus can be normal. Unilateral horizontal nystagmus is more likely to indicate a peripheral cause of vertigo. Bilateral or vertical nystagmus suggests a central cause of vertigo. The last part of the HINTS test is the test of skew. The test of skew, which is also called the alternate cover test, involves the patient sitting upright and fixing their gaze on the examiner's nose. The examiner covers one eye at a time, alternating between covering either eye. Whilst the examiner moves the cover from one of the patient's eyes to the other and back again, the patient's eyes should remain fixed on the examiner's nose and they shouldn't deviate from that position. If there's a vertical correction when an eye is uncovered, meaning that the eye has drifted up or down whilst being covered and it needs to move vertically in order to fix back on the examiner's nose, this indicates a central cause of vertigo. Finally, let's talk about the management of vertigo. Patients with suspected central vertigo need referral for further investigations, for example a CT or MRI of the head in order to establish the cause. For peripheral vertigo, short-term options for managing symptoms include prochlorperazine 
and antihistamines, for example cyclozine, cinarazine or promethazine. A medication called beta-histine may be used to help reduce the attacks in patients diagnosed with Meniere's disease. The Epley manoeuvre can be effective in treating patients with BPPV. Patients with vestibular migraine are usually managed by avoiding triggers and making lifestyle changes, for example getting enough sleep and staying hydrated. Medical management of vestibular migraine is similar to other types of migraine, with triptans for use during the acute symptoms, for example sumatriptan, and a choice of propranolol, topiramate or amitriptyline to prevent attacks. The DVLA Guide for Medical Professionals updated in March 2021 state that patients must not drive and must inform the DVLA if they're liable to sudden and unprovoked or unprecipitated episodes of disabling dizziness. So it's important to bear this in mind in patients who have vertigo and are driving. So thanks for listening to this episode on vertigo. As always, a big thank you to Harry Watchman for perfectly editing the podcast And I hope you join us for the next episode where we'll talk about benign paroxysmal positional vertigo.